Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. So as you may know, last Friday, the newest and theoretically the last Star Wars movie was released. Now, I will confess that I am not a Star Wars person. When I was in high school, the three original movies were re-released, and I went to see them because my boyfriend at the time was very into Star Wars, but that is about the extent of my Star Wars knowledge or experience. But I was talking to a friend of mine recently, someone who, like most normal people of my generation, actually likes Star Wars, and she is a big fan of Star Wars, so in anticipation of this new movie coming out, she and her family decided to re-watch all of the movies. So a week or so, one at a time, one a, one a week for eight weeks. And uh, so about a week ago, they watched The Last Jedi, which is the next to last movie in the series. And she told me about a scene that happens right near the end of the movie. So there's this climactic battle going on, which is pretty standard Star Wars fare. And there's this one character, Finn, who undertakes what is basically a suicide mission. He is ready to sacrifice himself so he can take out the evil empire. But at the very last minute, right before Finn crosses the line of no return, another character, Rose, who clearly has feelings for Finn, she comes and she knocks him off course preventing him from completing this attempted attack. Both of their vehicles are badly damaged in the process, and Rose is quite significantly injured. And as Finn goes and he's pulling her out of the wreckage, he yells at her, why would you do that? You stopped me. And she looks at him incredulously, and she says, stopped you? I saved you. That's how we're going to win this war, not by fighting what we hate, but by saving what we love. This evening, we gather to hear, whether it is for the first or the hundredth time, the story of God saving what God loves, of God being born as a baby in Bethlehem, of angels appearing to shepherds to share the good news, of shepherds racing to marvel at this infant Messiah. The Christmas story is the story of God saving what God loves. Now, if you were listening carefully when the gospel was read just a moment ago, you might have noticed that nowhere in Luke's account of Jesus' birth does he actually use the word love. But the story of Christmas is all about love. It might be John's gospel that helps us see that the best, because it's in John's gospel that we hear Jesus' famous words to Nicodemus. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The birth of Jesus was God's gift 
to the world. And it was a gift that was motivated entirely by love. That is how God works. In The Last Jedi, Rose told Finn, we're going to win not by fighting what we hate, but by saving what we love. Jesus told Nicodemus, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The story of Christmas is the story of God saving what he loves. God loves, and so God saves. And if we look at Luke's nativity story through this lens of love, then I think we see God's love everywhere in it. I think we could preface the whole story with Jesus' phrase, God so loved the world that... God so loved the world that God became one of us. God wanted us to know that he is not far off, and so he came nearer than we ever could have imagined. The eternal Son of God became human. Now, there are a lot of ways that could have happened. The Son of God could have come as the King of Israel, And he could have thrown Herod, who was the Roman-installed puppet king, thrown him off of his throne. Or he could have come as a mighty warrior ready to overthrow the Roman Empire. But he did neither of those. The Son of God came as a baby, as a newborn, an utterly vulnerable human being who was dependent on his parents for food, for protection, for survival. That is the ultimate picture of God's self-emptying, self-giving love. One author wondered whether God came as a baby because that's the one experience that is common to every single human being. We have all been born as helpless infants. God so loved the world that God came to us as one of us in the only way that every single one of us can relate to. And God so loved the world that God first announced Jesus' birth to a ragtag bunch of shepherds. Again, there are lots of other people whom God could have made this amazing announcement to, like Caesar Augustus, or Quirinius, the Roman governor of the area. Even the chief priests and the scribes at the temple in Jerusalem. But that's not what God decided to do. Instead, God announced the greatest news that the world had ever heard to a group of people who were generally seen as dishonest and dangerous, not to mention really smelly, God wanted the very first people to get the news about Jesus' birth to be the people that everybody else thought least deserved it. God so loved the world that he announced the birth of the Messiah to a bunch of shepherds. And God so loved the world that the only army God sent to proclaim the coming of his kingdom was an army of angels. 
Did you know that that's what heavenly host means? The Greek word that gets translated as host literally means army. God is proclaiming that the Messiah has come, and he does it not with violent force, but with heavenly praise. For in the kingdom of God, the work of an army is not to fight wars, but to declare peace. God so loved the world that angel choirs are the armies God chose to proclaim the Messiah's reign. God so loved the world. That is the drumbeat of the entire gospel. God so loved the world that Jesus healed the sick and fed the hungry and delivered the demon-possessed. God so loved the world that Jesus spent his time with the people everybody else looked down on, touching the untouchables and eating with the unclean. God so loved the world that Jesus suffered the agonies of betrayal, torture, and crucifixion because he would not give up on the upside-down way of love. God so loved the world that he raised Jesus from the dead so that death itself was defeated and the way to eternal life opened to us. God so loves the world. And when God loves, things happen. Because God's love isn't just a fact, just a thing that exists out there. Nor is God's love just an emotion or a disposition that God has toward us. God's love is both of those things, but it's so much more than that. God's love is a force. God's love is a power. God's love does things because God is love. The passage we read from Isaiah this afternoon is one of the most beautiful and most well-known of the scriptures that we associate with Christmas. And in it, we hear about how God will save his people from the oppression and from the judgment that they've been under. For to us a child is born, Isaiah declares. To us a son is given. And he goes on to describe how that child will reign and what he'll be like as a ruler. He'll be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. His reign will last forever and it will be one of justice and righteousness and peace. Isaiah concludes the passage with this assurance. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will, will do this. Last week, a friend pointed me to an Advent podcast for children called We Wonder. Each episode features a passage of scripture and invites children to engage contemplatively with that passage asking wondering questions about it with God. And one of the episodes focused on this passage from Isaiah 9, and it used the New International Reader's Version of the Bible, which is a translation that is aimed at about a third grade reading level. So it's great for kids, 
It's also great for adults who are learning to read or learning English. It turns out it's also great for pastors who want to be stopped in their tracks by a new way of hearing a very familiar piece of scripture. Because at the end of this passage, after describing what will happen when this child is born to those who have walked in darkness, this translation says, the Lord's great love will make sure that happens. The Lord's great love will make sure that happens. That is the power of God's love. To make all things new. To bring light out of darkness. To rule with justice and righteousness. To make an end of war. To bring perfect peace. To save us. The Lord's great love will make sure that happens. South African Archbishop Desmond Tutu, reflecting on love, once said this, When a chap is in love, he will go out in all kinds of weather to keep an appointment with his beloved. Love can be demanding, in fact more demanding than law. It has its own imperatives. Think of a mother sitting by the bedside of a sick child through the night, impelled only by love. Nothing is too much trouble for love. God is love. And nothing is too much trouble for love. Nothing. Not a world that is racked by greed and violence and fear and hate. Not a heart that is broken by betrayal or grief or disappointment. Not a life that's in tatters because of failure or addiction or sin or illness. Nothing and no one is too much trouble for love. Nothing and no one is too much trouble for God. For God so loves the world. That's the good news of Christmas. That's how God saves the world. How God saves each of us with love and through love and by love. And the Lord's great love will make sure that happens. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. Amen.